One of the many hallmarks of modern Christianity, one of them has to be an obsession with finding the will of God. What is the will of God for my life? The question is not, what is the will of God for life, but what is the will of God for my life? People want personal revelation. They, they want God's specific plan for their every move. The ancient Greeks were like this. They had oracles and seers who could divine the will of the gods. One way they did this was through extispacy. It's the practice of examining animal entrails to divine the will of the gods. And so a sheep might be slaughtered before battle, and, and the shape of the liver would determine the outcome of the battle. A more modern form of this divination is tea leaf reading, where anyone armed with a cup of tea can divine the will of God. Just drink a cup of loose leaf tea, unstrained, of course, and finish it, and then examine the pattern of the tea leaves and the dregs at the bottom. And what shape do they make? A heart, a star, a snake? By this, you can tell your fortune. You can discern God's will. Now, as Christians, we would rightly disregard all such divination as pagan and, and false. And the Bible itself strongly condemns these types of practices, not from God, not of God's truth. But what if I told you that many Christians resemble more paganism than Christianity when it comes to finding the will of God? How do you discover God's will for your life? Let me give you what would be a very common example. Just imagine a young, a young man named Eugene. He proposes to a, his girlfriend named Sarah. And Sarah really likes Eugene. She, she wants to marry him, but she's not sure if this is God's specific plan for her life. Doesn't want to screw it up. So she says, let me take some time to try and discern the will of God. Later that day at the market, the checker's name tag reads Eugene. And then later on, her father says, his engineering company, they hired a new CFO, and his name is also Eugene. And then even later, she gets a wrong call on her, her cell phone. It's a missed call, but can you guess where the call originated? Eugene, Oregon. And with this third sign, she was convinced that this, this is a sign from God. This is a God thing. This must be God's will. And so she accepts his proposal. Now, when you hear a story like this, most think it sounds very spiritual, even godly. But what if I told you this practice is more pagan than Christian? That what Sarah did is no different than the ancient Greeks reading omens. There's nothing Christian or biblical about this. Or another example, some people discern God's will by listening to the still, small voice inside of them. And so you can imagine an old lady named Margaret. She says how she has a direct channel with God. God talks to her all the time. She doesn't have an alarm clock, but she wakes up whenever God tells her to wake up. It could be 7 a.m. or 8 a.m. or it could be 2 a.m. if God wanted to test her. In the evenings, she likes to play hymns on the piano. And when does she stop and go to bed? Well, whenever God tells her. She just keeps playing until God says, time to go to bed. Again, when you hear this, you might think it sounds very spiritual. You may even marvel how in tune with God, Margaret is, and I, you might wish you could hear God's voice like that. But again, I would contend that that is more pagan than Christian. It, it may be spiritual in a mystical sense, but it is not spiritual in a biblical sense. Margaret is not hearing from God when to go to bed. Now, I realize this might catch a few of you off guard because you know, chances are some of you are, might be like this. You discern God's will by looking for signs. You listen to God to, to whisper his will to you or give you a feeling of inner peace. 
But what if the Bible said these are wrong? That these are more, these are closer to paganism than Christianity. Wouldn't you want to know that? And just at least be set straight. And then wouldn't you want to know what the Bible really does say about how to find the will of God? This is an area of mass confusion among Christians today. God's will for your life is crystal clear. And God's people need clarity, not confusion. And it's such clarity that we seek to find this morning. Last Sunday, we just finished James chapter 4. And the end of chapter 4 deals with the sin of presumption. It's a passage on practical atheism where James is, is confronting people who say they believe in God, but they live like there's no God. They don't live according to his will, but their own. The true Christian should be different, though, than joyfully coming under the will of God. We, we want to live by God's will. And so he says back in James 4.15, he says, Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. We are to be a people preoccupied with the will of God. That's, that's true. And that's an important lesson to learn that we, we learned last week. But you guys know me. I do this often. You know, before we move on, I just couldn't help but, but think of all the confusion surrounding that issue, though. Because, okay, we're supposed to live in submission to the will of God. But you know, how do we do that? What does that really look like? How do you find that? will. The end of James chapter 4 picture these merchants and they want to go to a city, do business there, make a profit. They've got their plans. And James is like, you know, they should be saying, if the Lord wills, we'll go do that. Okay, that, that's good. We learned that lesson. But it makes us wonder, like, how are they supposed to find out if the Lord wills? Like, is it God's will for them to go to that city or not? How do they know? You know, to be fair, that question is not in James's mind right here. So he does not address it here in James 4. But knowing the mass confusion surrounding this question, I wanted to take a Sunday and just shed some biblical light on it. As Christians, I know that you want God's direction for your life, especially when it comes to life's big decisions. You want to know, like, what's God's will? What's his plan? You know, where to go to college? what to major in, what career to pursue, whom to marry, when to have kids, how many kids to have, when to change careers, when to move, where to live, when to retire. The list goes on. You want to know what, what is God's will for all these choices, right? And I believe most Christians are well-meaning in that desire. That, that's a, a good desire. They just want to be in God's will, not out of it. And that's good. I hope that's the case. But the problem is, most turn to the wrong means of finding God's will. Without even being aware of it, many subscribe to paganism, mysticism, and divination, just packaged in Christian forms. But these are expressly how we are told not to find God's will. There's a right way, but the wrong ways are legion. And, and sadly, I think today, the wrong ways are winning the day. And so at the very least, I want to make sure that such confusion does not exist here at our little church. And so this is going to turn into more of a topical message, but I want to provide some clarity on what the Bible does say about how to find the will of God. Wouldn't you want to know how to find the will of God? We're going to do this in two, two parts, two halves this morning. We're going to start with this. Number one, how not to find God's will. 
Let's start with the negative, how not to find God's will. And step one being just to identify why that the popular methods of finding God's will in our culture are just wrong. And I want to display to you biblically, like, don't take my word for any of this. I want to display to you biblically why you should avoid most of these common methods of finding God's will. The first, number one, will be three of these. God's will is not found through signs. God's will is not found through signs. The Romans were were really big on looking for auspicious signs in the heavens, and they were interpreting omens, and things haven't really changed. Many Christians today operate like, you know, God has a will for their lives, but it's not like he's going to come out and tell you. You know, it's, it's hidden. He's playing a sly game. It's a hidden will. It can be found, but you've got to track down all the breadcrumbs he's leaving for you in signs and circumstances. You've got to be a detective and figure it out. Have you ever prayed, you know, Lord, show me a sign? Maybe you've got a guy who's not happy with his job. He wants to change careers. He really wants to open up a bakery, but he's not sure, like, is this God's will for his life? So he prays, Lord, show me a sign. Maybe he's hoping to see a cloud in the form of a, of a pastry or something like that, or, or something miraculous. Don't all clouds look like pastries, by the way, but he just needs some sign to prove God's will. And such Christians, they're very quick to point out and emulate Gideon's example from Judges 6. Remember, God said he would use Gideon to deliver Israel, but Gideon wasn't sure, so he asked God for a sign, multiple signs, to confirm that was God's will. And and God graciously gave him a sign, so I guess we should do that. We should set out a fleece and just look for signs. But that is wrong. You need to realize that Gideon asking for a sign was not a virtue, but a vice. And it's recorded in scripture, not to his praise, but to his shame, because it revealed his lack of faith. When the angel of the Lord already told him God's will, and he doubted it. That's, that's not a good thing. And never are we told to follow Gideon's example. And never does scripture even suggest we should seek out signs to discern God's will. And to the contrary, what did Jesus say to the Pharisees when they demanded a sign? Matthew 16, 4, he says, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. The problem with seeking signs is they're all completely subjective and open to interpretation. Say you you want to be a missionary to to Pakistan. You feel it's God's will. You're you're praying, asking God, is this your will? But then relations deteriorate. Pakistan closes borders. They no longer accept U.S. visas. And so you say, look, that's a sign. It must not be God's will for me to be a missionary to Pakistan. It's a closed door. Or is it? Like, how do you know? How do you know that God doesn't want you to fly to India and cross the border on foot? You don't know. Maybe it's just a test. You can't really tell, though. In the end, most people, they're going to see whatever sign they want to see that will affirm what they really want to do. It's like growing up with playing with a magic eight ball which I'm sure you all know about. It's this little eight ball thing and you shake it. A little cube floats up with these different answers like yes, no, maybe, wait. And so you're asked, you ask a yes or no question to the magic eight ball and shake it and consult for your answer. But how do most kids use the magic eight ball? You ask a question like, does this girl like me? And then you keep shaking till you find the answer you want to find. <laughs> like that's, that's how you do it. 
In reality, though, that's how many Christians are today, though. They're, they're going to find the sign that they're looking for. But you have to realize there's absolutely nothing in Scripture commanding us or even commending us to find God's will, His authoritative will, through signs or circumstances. There's just nothing. Secondly, God's will is not found through feelings. God's will is not found through feelings. A lot of people today believe God's will for their lives is going to be communicated to them by a feeling of inner peace. I've got peace about it. A sense of inner peace about a decision. Well, that's equated with the revelation of God's will. This decision-making technique for finding the will of God was popularized by George Mueller, 19th century Christian evangelist. He taught that when you're seeking God's will, first you pray, ask for wisdom. Okay, that's fine. Secondly, you, you make a list of pros and cons, and you, you seek the Holy Spirit's guidance. Okay, I mean, that, that's fine, I guess. But, but then how do you actually make your choice? Well, he taught you should then sit with each choice for a day or two and act like you had made that choice, and then see how it makes you feel. Do you feel peace about it? Do, do you feel closer to God or not? And whichever choice gives you that feeling of peace that's God's will for your life. And many people operate like this, but it is quite problematic. Of all the sources of guidance out there, you should probably trust your feelings the least. I mean, what could be so deceiving as feelings? Just, you know, how many times a day do your feelings change? Gloomy weather, a bad night's sleep, you know, bad Mexican food. These can all just drastically affect your feelings. And so can, can unreliable and imprecise feelings really be the vehicle of God's divine revelation for you? And to the contrary, a whole host of sin has been excused under the guise of, yeah, but I feel peace about it. Like, you know, I know the Bible says not to be unequally yoked and not to marry an unbeliever, but, you know, I prayed about this and I feel peace about this. That's not how it works. And furthermore, what do you do when feelings collide? You know, a husband feels total peace about moving to Texas. The wife feels zero peace about moving to Texas. Whose feeling of peace trumps the other? Like, which feeling of peace comes with God's authoritative will? And simply put, there's just nothing in Scripture telling us or even suggesting that a feeling of peace will be the means of God's guidance. And just the opposite. How often does God lead us to do something that does not come with the luxury of inner peace? Have you ever shared the gospel with a hostile relative? Was that God's will? Yes. Did it come with a feeling of peace? No, I don't think so. It probably came with inner turmoil. But you did it anyway because it was the right thing to do. And so don't get me wrong. Peace is important. We should experience the peace of Christ. But that comes as a consequence of doing God's will. Never is that a means of finding God's will. And then thirdly, God's will is not found through whispers. God's will is not found through whispers. This is the latest version of finding God's will. These days, it's the most popular and by far the most dangerous. And the idea is that God, he's, he's already speaking to you. He's constantly speaking to you. And the problem is you. You just can't hear his voice. And so you need to be trained to listen God's not shouting, though. He speaks in the whisper, so you've got to, to tune everything out and tune into God. Like when God revealed himself to Elijah, he wasn't in the whirlwind. He was in the still, 
small voice, the, the whisper that came afterward. And so you got to tune out everything else, tune into God's frequency. How do you do that? How do you distinguish between like your random thought and God's voice in your mind? Only mystical answers are given. It really just, I guess, comes down to practice and paying attention to all those thoughts and promptings you had. Like, you know, that, that random thought you had, hey, I guess it's God's talking to you. It's God's will. And the most popular form of this practice today is reflected in the very popular book, Jesus Calling by Sarah Young. This book is a series of devotionals that contain the very words of God that she received. She says in the introduction, she had a deep desire to hear from God and began to wonder if she could hear messages from God. In her old prayer journal, it was always one-way communication. She prayed to God, but, but heard nothing. But she wanted to hear back. And so she says, quote, I know that God communicated with me through the Bible, but I yearned for more. Increasingly, I wanted to hear what God had to say to me personally on a given day, end quote. So when she finally closed the Bible and closed her eyes, or emptied her mind with a pen in hand, then finally God spoke to her and he revealed his will to her. This type of mock spirituality greatly resonates with people today. And if you don't believe me, try 15 million copies sold. But I hope you're discerning enough to see just the errors here. Once again, it's just overall unbiblical. We're never directed to listen to God's voice like he's a little guy on our shoulder talking to us or a little voice inside of us. That's never told to be the case. We're never told to listen for whispers or even to expect answers to prayer other than in Scripture. If God really does speak to us personally all the time on the inside, like, why would you bother with anything else? What do you need the Bible for? It's time to retire that old book. Like, who would not prefer personal, direct revelation from God just internally on any given day? Just close the Bible. And that's effectively what you get with these people, by the way. They, they have closed the Bible. But I'm going to stick with 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17. That all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. You know, Jesus has already called and he left a long voicemail. It's called the Bible. It's all we need. It's inspired. It's profitable for everything we need for every good work, it says. And so anyone who seeks after some further little personal voice, whether they know better or not, whether they say so or not, they're denying the sufficiency of scripture. Like she said, she yearned for more. The Bible is not enough for life and godliness. So put together, I hope you see what's wrong with all these various means of finding God's will. Overall, they're all unbiblical by definition, that there's nothing in scripture directing us, commanding us, even suggesting that we should seek God's will through signs, feelings, or whispers. Furthermore, these means are all completely subjective. And when God truly speaks, it's clear and authoritative. It's never mistaken. But I guess that's why there's so much confusion and contradiction among such Christians. It sounds more spiritual, for sure. 
to be so in tune to the hidden voice of God. That leads to a very sad byproduct where you have a lot of other Christians feel inferior. Like, I don't hear God's voice like that. Why, why am I not seeing any signs? I don't get any whispers. I guess, I guess I'm not spiritual enough. I guess I don't have enough faith. And the worst part of these methods for finding God's will, though, is they all resemble much more paganism than Christianity. They draw on, whether they know it or not, occult practices. For example, Sarah Young's practice of emptying her mind, closing her eyes, writing down whatever comes to her, that's the exact same as the occult practice of automatic writing, which is said to be a psychic ability to write unconsciously and tap into the supernatural. And this, this and more, it's really just the result of the church's acceptance of New Age philosophy and Eastern mysticism into the church. You have Christians that they're desperate to know their fortune. They want to know the future. And they may not be consulting crystal balls or tarot cards, but you know, the way they try and divine the will of God is not that much different. How is interpreting signs any different from the pagan Greeks reading omens and looking for omens? How is hearing a little inner voice of God just for you any different from the pagan Greeks consulting an oracle? It's no different. And there's a word for all these practices. It's a divination. It's all about trying to peek into the hidden mind of God. And by, such pra- by, by definition, such practices are, are pagan. If you recall, Deuteronomy 18, Israel is about to take and enter the promised land. And God knows when they do so, they're going to be surrounded and influenced by all these pagan nations with their pagan practices. So he warns them. He says this, Deuteronomy 18, 10 and 11. He says, there shall not be found among you anyone who uses divination, one who practices witchcraft, one who interprets omens or a sorcerer or one who casts a spell or a medium or a spiritist or one who calls up the dead. Whoever does these things is detestable to the Lord. Why is divination such a serious sin before God? Well, for one, it's not real, right? The God of the universe is not revealing his will for your life to some random palm reader in Pismo Beach. Like, it's, it's not real. At, at worst, it's demonic, but it's not from God. And second, God does not take kindly to people who put false words in his mouth. He takes that very seriously. He's the God of truth. He does not like unauthorized people speaking for him in his will. What's very interesting, though, is in this same passage, Deuteronomy 18, right after this warning, God says he is going to speak to his people. He knows they want to hear from him. They want to know his word and his will, and he will oblige. He's going to reveal himself further to them. How? Listen to verse 18 of that same chapter. God says, I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. God's going to speak. He is going to reveal his authoritative word and will for his people. He's not going to speak through a a still small voice or through a sign and wonder. He's going to speak in a prophet, an authoritative spokesman. He's going to put his words in the prophet's mouth. 
Now, the Old Testament and New Testament knew of many such prophets, but Deuteronomy 18 is speaking of the ultimate prophet, Christ Jesus, the Messiah, that God has spoken. He has revealed his ultimate will in Christ Jesus. You know, it's sad today is so many people are, they're so desperate to hear a fresh word from the Lord. Meanwhile, they ignore the incarnate word from the Lord. But the great prophet has already come and Christ, he's already perfectly revealed God's will to us. This was written down by his representatives, the apostles. And so now we have the complete word. People will go anywhere to try and find God's will. But if only they knew it, it's hiding in plain sight. It's the Bible. It's scripture. If you want to hear from God, don't close your Bible and empty your mind. Open your Bible and then use that to fill your mind and you will find God's will. So I think we can safely transition now to the second part, number two here overall. How not to find God's will. Secondly, how to find God's will. Let's get into the positive side, how to find God's will. The good news is God's will is not hidden. It's not some Easter egg hunt. The other methods imply God is, is sneaky. He has a wonderful plan for your life, but he's not going to tell you. Like, how frustrating is that? What, what kind of a, a God would do that? But God is a God of order, not confusion, of truth, not error. And he's already revealed to us everything he wants us to know about how to live. His will has been revealed, and it's not left to circumstances, feelings, or experience. It's found in scripture. His his word reveals all his will for your life. So you need to stick with 2 Timothy 3.16, for example, that all scripture is inspired, it's profitable. It equips you for every good work. Every good thing that God wants you to do, you can find that preparation equipping in scripture. What else do you need? And speaking of the inspired word, think of some of the promises Jesus made to his apostles. Like John 16, 13, he told them that the Holy Spirit would come and guide them into all the truth. You see, the apostles were uniquely promised special revelation to guide the early church. And, and that happened as Christ used the apostles and the prophets to lay the foundation for the church. So those were the guys who got dreams, visions, angelic messengers, and direct revelation from God. That's what they got. But that's not you. That was particular to the office of apostle and prophet in the early church. And it fit the role they played in communicating the the final will of God for the church. They wrote it down. It's called the New Testament. And that work now is finished. Now we have Christ's word and will for the church. Everything we need for life and godliness, it's finished. There are no more apostles and prophets. And you are not entitled to direct revelation. You have, however, everything you need. You have everything you need to find God's will. 2 Peter 1.3 says that God's divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. The word granted here, it's in the perfect tense. 
speaks of a, a past completed action with ongoing results. So God has already granted, he's already given us that revelation of his word and will. And it, it, it continues to guide us today. It doesn't come through personal whispers or signs. It comes in the true knowledge of Christ, which is found in the scriptures. So we can get practical now. And I'll tell you how to find God's will. How do you do it? How do you actually find it for your life? I'll give you some steps. I'm just going to borrow this outline from a preacher, Bodhi Vaca, and we preached on this. I'm going to borrow it because this is so complicated. This is so kind of complex. I want to make sure I don't get anything wrong. But how do you find God's will? Four steps. Step one, read your Bible. Step two, pray biblically. Step three, seek wise counsel from people who read their Bible and pray biblically. And step four, when in doubt, repeat. I was being sarcastic. It's not complicated. It's as simple as can be. And let's go over these. Step one, read your Bible. If the word really contains everything you need for life and godliness, everything to prepare you for every good work, and you believe in the sufficiency of scripture, it's sufficient. It's all I need. How about you read it? Search it, study it, consult it. God's will is plain to see there. It's found in the commands, ordinances, and principles of Scripture, and it shows you how God wants you to live. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Which way should you go? Well, let the word illumine your path. Do you need wisdom for decision-making? Well, God's word contains all the treasures of divine wisdom, so it's up to you now to, Proverbs 2, verse 4, Seek her as silver. Go digging. Go go find it. It's there. You go find it. To be a Berean, our namesake. When Paul showed up, preached Christ as the Messiah to the Bereans, they did not look for a sign to see if this was God's will. Is Jesus really the Messiah? Is that God's will? They did not wait for a still, small voice. And they weren't relying on their feelings. They searched the scriptures diligently and found up. This actually is pretty clearly God's will. Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by a still small voice. It's not what it says. Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Do you want to hear from God? Don't wait for God to whisper some tender thought into your ear. He's already spoken in the word of Christ. So open your Bible. Read it, study it, search it. Secondly, pray biblically. If you want to seek God's will, well, pray. But with clarification, how should you pray? What do you pray for? Most people pray like this. Lord, should I take this job? Are you expecting a yes or no answer? Are you trying to divine the hidden will of God? Lord, just just give me a yes or a no. No, the, the biblical prayer would sound like this. Lord, give me the wisdom to make a biblical decision that's within your revealed will. Do you think God holds us accountable to to find out his hidden will? As if we've got to find out his will, that that hidden will, because I don't want to like mess my life up and ruin his plans. No, we're only accountable to his revealed will. So all you need to do is pray for wisdom and know that will in scripture 
So you, you study it, you apply it to your lives. James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. You're not praying for more divine revelation. You're just praying for the wisdom to understand all that's already been given to you to make a choice, a right choice. And then you add to that, pray for strength to obey God's will. Because his will is clear. You just pray Psalm 143.10, Lord, teach me to do your will. That's the real struggle, just obeying his will. Number three, seek wise counsel from people who read their Bible and pray biblically. This, is, uh, this point is important. It likewise needs clarification. Does God give guidance through the counsel of others? Well, yes and no. Yes, in the sense that God's word advocates seeking out wise counsel. Like Proverbs twelve fifteen, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is one who listens to counsel. So we know there's, there's wisdom in counsel. But you have to realize that counsel will only be good, be as good as your counselors. You can be like Rehoboam and surround yourself with fools and do you think you're going to get the will of God from them? And what's the value of counsel? Are you expecting that God is going to give divine revelation about your life to other people? He's not going to tell you if you should have more kids, but he'll tell 10 people around you. And so you've got to like track them down and interview them and find out God's will from counsel. Is that how it works? No. The value of wise counsel comes in seeking people who read their Bible and pray biblically. And why? Because these are the people better equipped to give you guidance from God's word. We're not actually interested in the opinions of other people, per se. We're not looking for their guidance, but for God's guidance. And so we're looking for godly men and women who know the scriptures better than us. They can guide us to know and apply God's revealed word to our decisions, that that's the value of biblical counsel. So go find someone who knows the Bible better than you and let them help you apply it to your life. And lastly, number four, when in doubt, repeat, because you're not getting anything else. You're not going to get a voice from heaven. You're not going to get a whisper in your ear. You're not going to get a sign or an omen. And you're not called to seek these things. You just focus on seeking God's revealed will. Apply it to your life and to your choices, and if in doubt, repeat. Now, I I know what most of you are thinking right now. Like, this is not helpful at all. This is not what I wanted to hear. This, this is, how's this supposed to help me with like my specific decision? Because you want God to lay out every choice for you. And should you major in biology or English? The Bible doesn't say, I'm not going to find a Bible verse on that. And does God want you to marry John or not? Like, you can't find a Bible verse telling you that answer. And, and this is what you want. You want God's like specific will for your choices. And you don't need like some general Bible verse. But I'm going to tell you something you probably don't hear from too many preachers. Too bad. Just like, it's too bad. That most act as if they're entitled to hear God's hidden will for their every move. But you're not. You realize, you and me, we are not entitled to any direct revelation from God. Instead, God's already given you all the revelation you're going to receive and that you're meant to receive. And I'll tell you the number one problem people have when they they set out to find God's will, they're looking for the wrong will. 
They're looking for the wrong will. And I'll explain that. I'm sure you've heard of the two wills of God. And the Bible very clearly addresses there's two different aspects of the will of God. First of the will of decree. This is God's sovereign will by which he directs all things that will ever come to pass. Anything that's ever going to happen it has been ordained by God and his sovereign will. Ephesians 1.11, that God works all things after the counsel of his will. He sits in the heavens. He does as he pleases. This is his sovereign will. It cannot be thwarted, can't be challenged. This is what's going to happen. It's already been determined. But then there's also God's will of desire. This is his moral will for his creatures. This comes in the form of his laws, his commands, his moral precepts. And this will tells us how we are to live and how God expects us to live. But of course, this will can be resisted. It can be thwarted. Every time we sin, we are resisting the revealed will of God. Not a sovereign will. He knows all things. He has planned all things. But we can certainly thwart his revealed moral will. Now, here's the kicker, though, in this discussion. When most people are looking for God's will, they're trying to find out what's, his, what's that hidden will. Like what's the sovereign will for my life? But the thing is, it's hidden. It is not revealed on purpose. You don't have access to the hidden will of God. Deuteronomy 29, verse 29, you know it. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things revealed belong to us and our sons forever, that we may observe all the words of the law. You see, God's revealed his word and will, and that's all we got to worry about. The things revealed belong to us. You just, you just stick with that. The secret things, they belong to the Lord, and he has on purpose not revealed them to you. This sovereign will is not for you to know. You can't learn it until it comes to pass. When it comes to pass, we can look back and like, well, I guess that, that was it. Any attempt to try and find God's hidden will beforehand is called divination. And trying to peer into the hidden will of God is no different than, than soothsaying and pulling out a crystal ball, trying to find the future. That that's the same thing. They're just modern forms of paganism, trying to divine what's, what's his hidden will for my life. You know, plain and simple, you and I, we just don't have the right or the privilege to peek into the hidden will of God, the sovereign will of God. These are things that are not meant for you to know ahead of time. You might ask, like, why not? What's the big deal? Can't I know? Why doesn't he tell me? We, we want the easy route. We want God to make every decision for us. And just tell me, God, should I marry this person or that person? Should I, should I live here or there? Should I buy this car or that car? Just, can't you just tell me everything? But if God made every decision for us, it would short-circuit the sanctification process. God's will for us in this life is that we would live by what? By faith. And that involves, by definition, not knowing everything about the future. No, he's told us a lot. He's told us everything we need to know. It's enough. And for the rest, he wants us simply to trust him. He tells us not to worry about the future or to seek out the future through divination. Just trust him. He holds the future. You just worry about what he's given you to worry about. You just seek him. Matthew 6, 33. 
Jesus said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. All these other things will be added to you. So then do not worry about tomorrow. See, see how it relates. Like you don't have to worry about tomorrow or the future. You just focus on seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. It's not God's will to lay every choice out before us. There's no faith in that. There's no opportunity to be tested in that. There's no opportunity to trust God in that. What's ironic is that in all of this, some people are, they're so desperate to find out the hidden will of God. Meanwhile, they completely ignore the revealed will of God. He's already told us like a lot. And so how about we just focus on working harder at just obeying what's already been revealed? Because there's enough. There's plenty of that. Indeed, all you have to do is make that your focus. God's revealed will. The things revealed belong to us and our sons forever. And again, where is that revealed? In scripture. So I'll tell you now, what is God's will for your life? What's his will for your life? Well, first, salvation. Starts with your salvation. John 6, 40. Jesus said, this is the will of my father. This is the will of my father. That everyone who beholds the son and believes in him will have eternal life. God has a sovereign will in salvation. He does. It's not for you to know. You can't know that. You just worry about repenting of your sins and believing in Christ who died again or died on the cross and rose again for our forgiveness. And God's revealed will is that you repent and you believe in him before it's too late. So do that. And then secondly, God's will is for your sanctification. You come to Christ. Now you want to know God's will. If you're, if you're in Christ, your sanctification. That the simplest verse, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, it says, this is the will of God, your sanctification. That's literally what it says. Like, this is the will of God, your sanctification. So there you go. And God's will for you now in Christ is that you become more like Christ. You be holy like he is holy. You be set apart from sin. That's his will for your life. You can add to this, number three, that you be spirit-filled. You be saved, you be sanctified, you be spirit-filled. Ephesians 5, 17 and 18 says, says, Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. It's not hidden. Don't be foolish. Understand what the will of the Lord is. He says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation but be filled with the Spirit. That's God's will for you now, Christian. He wants you to to daily be filled with the Spirit. But understand, that's not some mystical thing. To be filled with the Spirit simply means to be led and controlled by the indwelling Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who will guide us into all things. But you have to realize the Spirit leads us through Scripture. That the same word, the Spirit inspired, he uses to guide us into all righteousness. As our minds are filled with the word of Christ, so we walk by the Spirit. We are led according to the word. One more verse, and a critical verse. Listen carefully to Romans 12, verse 2. Romans 12, verse 2. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. It doesn't say that you, 
you, you learn it, that you prove it. This word prove means to discern or to distinguish. So here's how you can discern or distinguish the will of God. He says, by renewing your mind. Don't be conformed to the world. You need to be transformed and renew your mind. And you'll be able to discern God's will. But God's plan is not to tell us every decision. He has it all planned, but it's not for us to know. He has another plan for us, one that pleases him. That us, his creatures, would walk by faith in Christ. And that we would then be conformed to the image of Christ. He wants to see his people progressively squeezed into the mold of Christ. That includes their thinking. He wants them to renew their minds that they might think like Christ. And so they need not be conformed to this world. They need to put off the thinking, beliefs, patterns, values, treasures of this world and put on the the thinking, beliefs, values, treasures of Christ. They need to think biblically. That is the Spirit's leading. Now, here's the amazing, amazing thing is that when this happens, when a person's mind is renewed with Scripture, they're going to make decisions biblically. And all those decisions, they're going to be the will of God. They're going to be in the will of God. Look, when you seek first His kingdom and you live within His bounds of revealed Scripture, you're in His will. Now think of God's revealed will like a fence around a playground. We're his children. We live inside. And his will has been revealed, like stay in the fence. These are your boundaries. Just stay in the fence and, and it will go well with you. Just don't go outside. Inside, they were like, but what are we supposed to do in here? Like, should I play on the swings or the slide? Inside, up to you. You have liberty. You have freedom inside the will of God. So do what you want. Play on whatever place that you want. As long as you're in the will of God, you're in the fence, do as you please. God wants his people to renew their minds according to his word so that they can fully discern and distinguish the fence, the, the, the boundaries for their lives, what has been revealed about how they are to live. And then while they're within those bounds, they're free to do as they please. You had a healthy dose of biblical wisdom to that, but you have liberty. Let me try to bring this together to finish up here with a common illustration. I think the most common illustration in these discussions on the will of God, should I marry that person? This always comes up, right? We want to know, like, is he or she the one? Lord, tell me, is she the one? You're not going to get a yes or no answer from God on that question. It is not for you to know the secret things of the Lord. You don't need to empty your mind. You don't need to listen to a still, small voice telling you or look for a sign in heaven. But God still gives guidance. He still gives guidance. It starts with recognizing that the world has done you wrong. The world has influenced you for the worse. And so to the world, what makes for a good spouse? Well, someone's attractive, rich, makes you feel happy. You have to put off the world's values. You cannot let your thinking be conformed to this world. No, you have to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So go to God's word, read it, study it, consult it, pray to understand it. Talk to people who know it. Look for God's revealed will about marriage. You got to start thinking like God thinks, value what God values. And then you're going to find out that 
God's main concern is crystal clear that you marry a fellow believer. It's top of the list. Not be unequally yoked. You, you, you find someone strong in the faith. Looking for someone with, with looks or, or wealth, it's, it's actually not really in the book. It doesn't have anything to say about that. But as your mind is renewed and you become sure that, you know, I'm, I'm in the fence. I'm in the revealed will like this, you know, check, check, check. I'm in the fence. Well, then do as you please, right? Choose as you please. Marry the one you please. It will be God's will. You're in it. You have liberty. Do as you please. People don't like this because it does not sound spiritual. But that's because we're too influenced by paganism, mysticism, and, and spiritualism. But God defines true spirituality, and that looks like seeking first his kingdom, his righteousness. Lord, I just want to do whatever is best for your kingdom, not my will, not myself. Like, what's best for your kingdom? What fits righteousness? I'm, I just want to do that. You seek that, you're fine. And thereafter, God gives liberty. Psalm 37, verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. You have to get the first part right, though. Delight yourself in the Lord. You're you're saturating with scripture. This is how you are to find God's will. You just need to walk in the word. Drink deeply from the will of divine wisdom uh, revealed in scripture, from the well of divine wisdom revealed in scripture. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. And as you do this, you're going to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You're going to be led by the Holy Spirit, and you're going to be made like Christ, especially in your thinking. You're going to think like Christ, who after all, came to do the will of his Father. And this will lead you to make decisions like Christ. So long as you are guided and guarded by Scripture, you're going to be in the will of God. And as you trust him for your future, he will be well-pleased. So if you're going to take away just even just one thing from this discussion, let it be this, that if anyone ever tells you to find or look for God's will by closing your Bible, don't listen to them. Instead, you just open your Bible and you're going to hear everything that God wants you to hear about your life. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, we we praise you this morning for your will that has been revealed to us. We thank you that you have not left us without a voice, without revelation. We, we need it, Lord. We, we can discern a little in creation, but we, need, we do need something more. Who are you? What are you like? What have you done? What is your will for our lives? We can thank you, Lord. We live on this side of the cross. You have spoken. It's written. It's finished. We have uh, the treasure of God's wisdom and will. It's in scripture. And I pray we we learn this this morning. We're in a world and a culture that looks everywhere but the word to find you and your will and how easily we're all influenced by that. And and I'm sure many of us have fallen prey to some of these wrong ways of thinking, even inadvertently, Lord. But I pray this morning you correct all of us and just push us back onto the right track. We believe in the sufficiency of scripture. You've given us everything we need for life and godliness. And so I pray now we're convicted to to open up, to read, to seek, and we will find. We thank you for that will revealed to us. We, We treasure your guidance. 
And we just want to seek you and your kingdom and your righteousness and trust you for the rest. So help us with that. Help us to do that. Convict us. Alter your glory and our guidance. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.